The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. Uh, the show is always presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com for a great deal. Uh, Tom wrote a column that we're going to talk about today because I am wondering whether or not anybody reached out to you because that was really, really well done. And man, did you go after Ted. Uh, we'll talk about this uh, coming up in the show, but I wanted to start with this um, with this from Sam. Uh, Sam said, Tom was close enough, Kevin. He gave you full credit for shotgun snaps on fourth and one. So yesterday on the show, or, or two days ago on the show, um, when I, at the end of the show, played back you predicting that Jacoby Brissett would play and predicting the Rams would win in a route, uh, which I had totally forgotten. Um, what I did notice about the prediction, and I think what I decided to cut out, but then I mentioned on yesterday's show that I cut it out, was that your prediction was that Jacoby Brissett would play, but it would happen because of injury. To Sam, you said Sam had kind of gotten lucky taking the pounding that he had taken, and you didn't think he was going to get lucky on Sunday. And so, what what Sam's referring to is remember when you seemed surprised about them being in shotgun on fourth and one? I think it was against the Cowboys, and I said half the leagues in shotgun on fourth and one. And um, Steinberg. I think, reached out to us to say he looked up the numbers and it was actually like 43%. And you said, close enough. Good job. So I will return the favor and say, more than close enough. All you needed to have was Jacoby Brissett playing on Sunday for the win, and you got it. Um, thank you, Sam. Um, yes. Uh, I wasn't trying to take credit away from Tom. I was just trying to state why he thought Jacoby Brissett would play. As you said when I told you the other day, what did you say? Something like, close enough. Details. 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 Yeah, details. Um, You've got a prediction on the game Sunday. That's coming up. Cannot wait. And I'm going to make sure I've got my hearing aids in to listen to whatever footnote you have this week. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So... um, This email from Pete, 
If we get to the end of the season not sure about Sam Howell, then it's on to the draft. Because if you're not sure you have your quarterback, then you don't. I think that's true, don't you? Yes. Yes, I absolutely think that's true. You're not very talkative here in the show so far. Is is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You dropped some homework on me before the show began, oh. and I'm trying to catch up here. Oh, I see. You're going through that list, aren't you? I'm so you, trying to. So you're not really... I'm trying not to throw up when I, as I go through the list. <laughs> we won't tell you what the list is. You'll have to stay tuned for that. So basically, you haven't been listening to anything I've said so far on the show. You've got your... Yeah, you said, you said how smart I was about predicting that Jacoby Brissett would start and that uh, you're reluctant to give me credit for it. Isn't that pretty much what you said? Not really, but the, you know what? Keep the smart part in your mind. Just just okay. hold on hold on to that. I also actually said you wrote quite That's a column. That's never far from my mind. You know? which we will That's get never to, far. Which we will get to. From my mind. Yeah, uh, if, if, you, if we get to the end of the season, and by the way, we're kind of close to the end of the season, and you say... And by the way, it's not for us to say. It'll be for the new regime to say. Uh, we're not sure. Well, then you don't have the quarterback. Yeah. And I think no, that... you don't. I th- yeah. I think the ship has sailed. I don't think Sam Howe is going to suddenly get better against the 49ers or the Jets defense or the Cowboys, if that's an important game. I mean, these are they're, they're potentially the three, three of the toughest games he's going to have uh, in the whole season. Yeah, you know, you asked me yesterday, um, uh, I'm sorry, two days ago on the show, you asked me if I thought he might get pulled again or, you know, that if Ron will pull him again. Or I think you said, can he pull him again? And I said, that would be really difficult to do because he already made that misstep and then, you know, had the comments to Nikki Javala the next day that, Jacoby Brissett would have probably been the starter had the the game against the Jets been meaningful. You know, because of the teams they're playing, if Sam hasn't progressed speeding up the process, which I think is the frustration for everybody out there, um, then it's going to be one, maybe two of the three games, if not all three, are going to look like some of the real ugly games this year. The Buffalo game, the Giants games, um, the Arizona game, which I think is an underrated bad game for him this year and the offense. And with that, I think that given that it's the end of the year, it might be a situation where they'll try to protect him by pulling him. So I actually think there's a chance. I think they could. I think there is. Look, the saving grace on two of these games is, for one, the Jets are horrible offensively. Uh, that may impact their defense. Uh, who you know, the people they just may be packing up, you know, packing their their golf clubs up at, at this point. And the Cowboys game may not mean anything uh, yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah, it's looking more and more like the Cowboys game probably will mean something. Although, yes. although it is, yes, po- it does. but it is possible. You're right. It is possible that the Cowboys are eliminated before that uh, season finale. It actually, what's interesting is it may come down to what it came down to last year: the Cowboys needing to win in D.C. and the Eagles needing to lose to the Giants for the Cowboys to win the division. It's possible because. 
the Eagles once again play the Giants and Washington plays Dallas. It could be a, a similar situation to a year ago. And look, the Giants, who knows where they'll be um, at the end of the year, um, but it could be identical to that that game. But yeah, no, it's possible the Jets have packed it up now that you know there's no chance for a playoff berth or no chance for Aaron Rodgers to come in and lead him. Uh, over the final three games. Um, but, man, that defense has been great all year, and if they do play hard, it's going to be a rough go of it, I think, yes. for Washington's offense. Yes. Now, San Francisco will come in here. That's a tsunami. Yeah. That's a tsunami. <laughs> Needing to win <laughs> to continue yeah. uh, to be in the hunt for um, the overall one seed, really no matter what happens. Now, they'll be coming in, remember, short week because they play Monday night against Baltimore in against a rather Baltimore, large game. game. Yeah, huge yes. game. Huge game. Um, so I do think there's a chance that we'll see more of Jacoby Brissett, but this time I don't know what, if it'll be about frustration or performance related. I think it might be the next time we really did need to protect him. Uh, because he was taking well, a that beat. was such a funny that was such a funny reason. I mean, basically, I, I I boiled it down to compassion. They felt they felt sorry for him, yeah. so they wanted to protect him. I, I've never heard a quarterback being pulled for compassion before, but that's pretty much what happened. Uh, and if they wanted to be compassionate, they would have pulled him out of a couple of games earlier in the season. Yeah, I mean that's the when, thing. When he took a much worse beating than he did on seeing really take a. Look, who am I to judge what kind of beating you take? But from from my from the from my cigar uh, lounge viewpoint, it didn't look like he took that much of a beating. No, he didn't. That that wasn't what Sunday was about. And you yeah. know, s- somebody mentioned to me, and I and I read it on yesterday's show that while you and I were talking about sort of the fallout and how telling it was that that happened and how, you know, it clearly increased in a lot of people's minds um, now the reality of where Sam Howe is, uh, and it wasn't as clear before his benching and before Ron's comments to Nikki Javala on on Monday that, that Jacoby Brissett would have been the likely starter had the game been meaningful. You know, it was pointed out that we talked a lot about it, but we didn't emphasize the fact that th- that th- this year's been about development, but Ron has also mentioned several times and implied we've got our guy. You know, this is you know, this is the guy. I'm not just talking about the preseason prediction of leaving, you know, uh, a, a great team that would win a Super Bowl and he would be vindicated. Um, but that during various points this year, he's he has said, no, we really feel like we got our guy. That this is going to be, you know, a guy that's going to be here for a while. And so it was. It had to be on some level, um, you know, after the fact because I don't think he thinks about these things before. Uh, tough to you know kind of swallow that one and admit yeah. that at the very least we're not sure. Um, and if you're not sure, then you probably don't have one. So, um, I want you to tell everybody about the column that you wrote, and I want you to tell um, me and everybody if you thought that that was one of your harshest, you know, sort of critiques of Ted Leonsis. Um, and I'll I'll leave it at that. Tell everybody the column that you read, and then and then tell me what you thought about it. Well, it, it kind of spawned out of our discussion uh, last week about Ted's performance 
at the press conference at you know at Potomac Yards to announce the move from uh, D.C. to Northern Virginia, and how he uh, he just seemed so clueless about the impact he was leaving behind, and instead was it was it was giddy in in the celebration of the moment and. And his ego so consumed him, he talked about a higher calling that he was doing. You know, he should have choked on those words, higher calling. And and I didn't really get to that in the column about, you know, the, my initial column about the news was not so much about Ted's performance at the press conference. And I think it merited some some look back and uh, some backhand. <laughs> you know? So basically, that's what the con was about. The con was about Ted's giddiness, uh, his, his insensitivity to the impact of the people he was going to leave behind. You know, this notion that, that the mystics and, and a new and improved Capital One arena is, is going is to is make everything right is, 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 is insulting. And the whole thing was insulting. If you were a DC fan, if you were a fan, if you were a DC based business or worker impacted by this, or somebody who likes to live downtown or go downtown, you know this is an impact, and he showed a lot of insensitivity to that. And I, I took him the task for that, coupled with, like I typically do when he goes off like this, I went to his book, The Business of Happiness, his his manual for how to be happy that he wrote in 2010. And how much how much books does it take to write a book telling people how to be happy? Oh. I mean that's that's just unbelievable. <laughs> but I and there were there were parts in there where he sang a poem's praises for building the arena downtown and making the commitment to the city. And you know he, he talked about Abe, you know saw it as a civic responsibility and, and all this. And he, he 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 inferred that Abe was his role model, and like I said in the column, he's no Abe Bowen. Do I think it was it was the harshest? I don't know. I don't know if it was. I have to go back. When you when you're writing and, a and column play. like that, seriously, do you do you uh, does it does it excite you because you're really going on the attack? Let, let me let me read some of it. You you've kind of referred to some of it, but let me just read some of it for those of you that don't get the times regularly. (laughs) He wrote, at some point in the last week, I expected transparent Ted Leonsis to apologize, not for his decision to move the Caps and Wizards to Northern Virginia. That apology may come someday uh, if and when he's forced to return to his broken down arena in the district um, when the $2.2 billion Potomac Yards deal falls apart. By the way, you you think it will fall apart. I don't, but whatever. Um, And then you wrote, no, I thought that someone may have sat transparent Ted down and told him that the dance he performed on the grave of the district at the morning press conference at the site on December 14th, his off-putting giddiness about leaving bodies behind in the city while he basked in the glow of the higher calling, in quotes, that led him across the river, was to put it mildly in bad taste. And then you, you, know, you give him the higher calling quote, and you wrote, 
it was insulting, but it was also revealing. He's not the man who he claims to be. And then you say, this should come as no, su- no surprise, but to watch him say that we still have a responsibility to do a great job and continue to invest in Washington, D.C. with a straight face revealed the height of the delusion of his ego, which appears to have no limits. So I thought as time passed, those who advised Transparent Ted might have suggested an apology was in order, that his higher ceiling remarks were offensive to those who who have to pick up the pieces he plans on leaving behind. This is not to let city officials off the hook for their neglect in the attention that needed to be paid to Transparent Ted and the issues with his arena. No, this is about style and really being accountable, part of Transparent Ted's hollow vocabulary. He appears to be capable of the act of apology. Before the Wizards opener this season, Transparent Ted sort of gave one to the fans in an an interview on his monumental sports network when he said, to be honest, I feel like I have failed the fan base for the last three or four years. Speaking of the team's restart, reshuffle, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. It was several years too, too late, but it was a rare moment of contrition. Transparent Ted's act last week could use a moment of contrition. Whenever Transparent Ted feels the need to strut, I always feel compelled to refer to his book, The Business of Happiness, in which he reveals the six secrets to extraordinary success in work and life. You have to admit, it takes a lot of you-know-what to write a book telling people how to be happy, which we've talked about for years, and I just think it's so funny that he actually wrote that book um, because it really does. It takes so much ego to write that book. Um, and so, you know, you get into the whole Abe and him paying homage to Abe, um, you know, for building and building in the city and, you know, being the steward and the whole thing. Um, and then you write, uh, you know, Transparent Ted sought $600 million from the city to fix up Capital One, and his deal in Northern Virginia could wind up costing more than $1 billion from municipalities, taxpayers. Guess Transparent Ted is no Abe Poland, although when he wrote the book in 2010, he cited the late owner as a role model of sorts. Um, and so... Transparent Ted was born, you know, talking about him taking ownership of the Washington Capitals. Good luck waiting for humble Ted to make an appearance. He's busy answering his higher calling. Uh, That one was a good one. You've got some really good ones when you really go after somebody. I've said this before. I think in this town, there are two columnists that are at their absolute best when on the attack, Sally and Tommy. And I don't think anything you wrote was unfair. I think it's totally accurate. And you know how I felt when I was watching that press conference because we talked about it. I talked about it immediately, and then we talked about it on the podcast. I just thought it, 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 was, it was incredible to me. Like you said, he was kind of ma- – by the way, I, I thought about maybe he was dancing on the grave – of the district that day because they had really neglected him and they had essentially called his bluff and he felt like, you know, shoving it up their backside in that press conference. You know, yeah, I know, but, but, but just the act of the move did accomplish that. Just the move shoved it up their ass. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he didn't, and, and you know, there were people affected. Besides the the people who sat in a room with them 
at at, at the uh, at the Wilson Building and didn't pay attention to him when he was you know telling him you know I'm not going to put up with this. So I mean, just the fact that he made the move, I think, accomplished that if he felt the need to do that. This was salt, salt in the wounds. Yeah, um, you know, and whoever needed to sit transparent Ted down and tell him not to dance on the grave should also tell him in future pressers to stop referring to the incredible brands that they've built. I I just, the only two brands that really the significant majority care about are the Caps and the Wizards. And one of those brands is Loserville brand. I, I don't know how he doesn't see that. That when he talks about these incredible brands, I know what he's referring to. He's referring to the Caps and the Mystics and the eSports teams and the Go-Go's and the you know Arena League teams. I, it's just that part really, too, just every time drives me nuts. You know, when he introduced all of the new people with the Wizards, it was, you know, 10 minutes of the incredible, smart brand-building operation that they are. Um, and... My the only brand I care about a lot is the Wizards brand, and it's just been painful to be a Wizards fan like I've been for you know all of the years he's owned the team, and to be fair for many of the years that Abe owned the team at the end as well. Um, now, now you, you talk about the Wizards, which brings up an interesting dynamic that's sort of taking place, and I don't know if it'll gain any momentum or not, but there's been an outcry, I think. Uh, I think from uh, maybe from the NAACP or someplace and other areas uh, saying that the Wizards, not the Capitals, the Wizards should not leave the district. Okay? And I've seen people who have criticized Ted sort of separating the two teams and and saying, and I think in part rightfully so, and think you could put the Caps anywhere, you know, uh, around the around the Beltway, in and around the Beltway, and they're going to have a following. Uh, you know, but the but but the identity of basketball in the city and not having an NBA team is different. And I think there's sort of momentum for saying, you know, why don't you leave the Wizards behind and just move the Cats? Do you think there ever possibility of that happening? I don't think there is. No, I don't. I, I think that, no. for, first of all, I think that there, the arena that's being built is being built for two teams, not one. Yeah. I mean, we can sit here and talk about the Caps having a more loyal fan base and, you know, uh, and having, you know, consistent attendance over the years. Um, what if I told you that the majority of fans in the DMV that go to Wizards games come from Virginia? Would you be surprised at that? Yes, I would. So was I when someone told me that. Now, do I know it's true? I think this person would know, um, but uh, that was surprising to me. I, I It would not have been surprising to me if Montgomery County and Prince George's County combined uh, you know, were the, the, the largest percentage in terms of counties. And it was the state of Virginia that somebody told me. And I said, is that just Fairfax County and, you know, and, and Arlington County, Alexandria County? And they said, no, it's just the, the state of Virginia actually, be, if you break up in three pieces, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, Virginia, uh, people that go to the Wizards games 
mo- the major- not the majority, um, but the highest percentage come to Wizards games from the state of Virginia. That is a surprise. And but I but don't I don't even think that's what we're talking about here. I think we're talking about something that actually involves race. I think that there's yeah. this feeling that, you know, an NBA team, um, because uh, most of the players are black and perhaps, you know, the majority of fans are black, which I don't even think that's true, is it? I don't even know the percentage of breakdown of NBA fans or people who attend NBA games. I really don't. Um, but that an NBA team should be in the city. And they would be the first to play outside of the city that they represent. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're talking about an urban, what's seen as an urban product Yeah, uh, being moved to a suburb, a very close suburb. Yes. I mean, can you call? I mean, can you call? Is Potomac Yards a suburb? I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like literally so inside the beltway. It's not even, I know. It's it's very almost not even a suburb. Yes. Right. You know, I mean, it's not it's not Bethesda or Rockville or anything like that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the immediate suburbs are, you know, those that are inside the Beltway, but not D.C. A lot of Bethesda is inside the Beltway. Chevy Chase is is. mostly inside the Beltway, you know, on the Maryland side. There are plenty of uh, areas in in PG County, including like Landover, that are inside the Beltway. They are immediate suburbs. And then there are... You know the outer burbs, I guess. Out, I outer outer burbs, yeah. But um, but uh, but I, I mean, you should pay attention to that that discussion. See 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 if it evolves in anything, uh, because that's an interesting take. Well, I can't see that happening again. The, the deal is for two teams to play in that arena for eighty-two dates plus a year. They're not going to do it for forty-one dates. I don't think Ted's not going to get the deal. You know, no, which is a three X deal on you know whatever the district offered. Um, just one last question on this column: Have you heard from anybody on this column? Would you, do you would you expect to hear from anybody on this column? You know, there was a time where if Ted didn't like something right. I wrote, uh, he would say something. But then when his his comments about criticizing the column wound up in another column then he sort of gave up on that (laughs) (laughs) all right um up next tommy's skins jets prediction but more importantly what will the footnote this week be i can't wait to hear it i'm gonna pop the hearing aids in uh and i'm gonna try to pay attention and stay awake we'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, Shelly's back room is, is a great location to get into the Christmas spirit. Uh, if you're down in D.C., you know, in the final days before Christmas Eve or before Christmas Day, you know, maybe you've got some visitors in town uh, and you're bringing them down to D.C., you're taking them maybe to the holiday market, uh, which is a great event that they yeah. put on in front of the uh, portrait gallery in, in Chinatown there. in Chinatown yes you're only a couple of blocks away from Shelley's back room at 1300 block of F Street 1331 F Street Northwest if you want to come in from the cold the best place to get warm is Shelley's back room where you can warm up not only with a nice whiskey first class stuff top shelf whiskey you know but a top shelf cigar too Shelley's back room they have a cigar selection from the top 25 cigars named every year by Cigar Aficionado magazine. Uh, so they have that available to you. They have people who can help you pick the cigar that you think you would like if you're kind of new to, to cigar smoking. So if you're down this way, you got some friends, take them over to Shelly's. They'll never forget it. It's an unforgettable visit. Shelly'sBackroom.com. You know, I'm looking at their menu right now, and this is the time of year. We're not going to have a super cold Christmas. We're not going to have a white Christmas. It's going to be pretty mild over the weekend. Uh, And the real winter, for those of you that care like I do, may start kind of after the new year. Um, And, you know, all the weather people still. Yeah, all the weather people are still (laughs) thinking that we're going to have a lot of snow in January and February. We'll see. But this time of year, especially holiday time, where places like Shelley's are decorated and they're fun and you're in the city, I like a soup. And I'm looking, they have a lobster bisque, they have a homestyle yes. chicken noodle, they've got a beef chili, they've got a New England clam chowder. Only thing missing, and I'm going to tell Bob, is a French onion soup. French onion soup this time of year is great. Um... But Shelley's is awesome. Uh, you know, that Christmas market <laughs> down in Chinatown, Penn Quarter, apparently is phenomenal. And uh, and you went, right? Didn't you go down there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we went down there uh, about a week ago right. uh, to the, to the uh, National Gallery of Art and then to the Holiday Mart. See, I remembered that you were down there for that. Isn't that impressive? All right, Tommy. Uh, meaningless game between the... Uh, Jets and Washington, uh, second trip to East Rutherford this year. The first one was not good. A loss to the Giants. It would be the first of two losses to the Giants. The Jets, by the way, are three-point favorites 
against Washington. Um, the Jets have lost. Uh, they've lost five of six out of their last seven games, um, and a couple of them haven't been close. Uh, but. I think, actually, if the Jets have checked out officially with no hope of resurrecting their season with an Aaron Rodgers now, maybe Washington catches them, you know, napping a little bit. I hope not. I want Washington to lose this game. But what do you say? Prediction with the all-important footnote prediction as well. Oh, I think I think this is a checkout game. For, who, uh, for whom? For, for the Jets. They're, they're, they're checking oh out. Oh, boy. They're going to you win. know, yeah. I, and unfortunately, I see a Washington victory. Oh my God! An, ug- an ugly victory, a nineteen thirteen win, which includes maybe the record tying pick six from Sam Howe. Doesn't he need one more to tie the all the season record for pick sixes? Is that I true? I think he does. I didn't know that. I think that. he does. Yeah, let me double. Let me, let me check it out. Uh, have one of somebody on your staff check it out. I'm, I'm tired do of that. doing your work. For you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to okay. have somebody check it up out okay. right now. I'll have the answer to that. Okay. So Sam throws a okay. pick six so, in so, the game, and and that's the, that's the only touchdown the Jets get. Okay, they'll have two field goals, uh, and uh, yeah, and have, uh, it'll be a 19-13 Washington win. Okay, um, I'm looking. Uh, my staff just came back, and they they gave me the wrong information. They just gave me the all-time quarterback pick six leaders. Brett Favre's the all-time pick six leader. Well, this isn't a season. I know what you're this trying to get at. Um, maybe you know? it was games in a row with a pick six because he had three in a maybe row. Maybe it was. And then he did maybe not throw was. a pick six against the Rams. Maybe that was the record. That they were trying to avoid when they pulled them. I think there were people out there with that theory. Okay, so 1913 Washington. God, I'd hate to see that. And Sam Howell throws a pick six in the game, right? Yeah, but yeah, but he survives otherwise. I think he survives the entire day. I think so. Okay. By the way, if they do beat the Jets. Um, you know, they could potentially go from fourth or maybe even better. New England plays Denver uh, on Sunday night uh, football, uh, Christmas Eve football, and the Patriots are a game behind. And the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals play at the Bears. I guess that could be a winnable game. So Washington might lose the opportunity by winning the game of being, of going from second if they lost the game, if Arizona and New England both won, to perhaps all the way to ninth or tenth in the draft. Wow. Um, this would be a devastating win. <laughs> it could be a devastating win. Uh, of course, there are two games after that. That's not going to wrap up um, the season. Right. So um, I wanted to mention that, uh, that Bob sent me this note. Um, he wrote, Longtime Terps fan here, wishing you would talk more about them like one of your emailers asked a few weeks back. I disagree with you on the best quarterback in Maryland history. It was Jack Scarbath, the runner-up to the Heisman Trophy in 1952. He compiled a 24-4-1 record during his time at Maryland, and defeated Tennessee in the 1951 Sugar Bowl. 
Um, and then he went on to, to to list his other accomplishments, including the most valuable. Like he's got a case, including he? yeah, including the Player of the Year in the Southern Conference, which Maryland was in at the time, and the most valuable player in the South. Um, I I I did not mention so yes on yesterday's show. I mentioned that, you know, to Leah Tungavailoa, Leah Tungavailoa is opting out of their bowl game against Auburn. Uh, I, I don't know if you know, know this, Tommy, but Leah is the all-time Maryland passing yards leader, yes. completion percentage, touchdown. He's the all-time Big Ten uh, passing yardage leader. Um, and what I said is he had, uh, you know, a really nice career, but he's nowhere near the best quarterback in Maryland history. Boomer Esiason is the best quarterback in Maryland history. Uh, and by the way, yes, to whomever asked me if the highlight that I played at the end of the show was the Maryland-North Carolina game from 83. It was. I should have set it up. Al Michaels was on the call. Maryland was ranked 13th. North Carolina was 3. It was Halloween weekend in College Park, and Boomer led the Terps to their most significant win that year over third-ranked North Carolina. Um, yes, at the end of yesterday's show, I played a highlight from that particular game, whoever reached out and asked me if it was that game. But anyway, Boomer's the best quarter. I, look, I don't know about Jack Scarbath. Sorry. I, I, I've, heard his, I've heard the name before. In fact, I think he was a radio broadcaster on Maryland games in like the 70s maybe. Um, maybe with Johnny Holiday when Johnny joined uh, the group, although I think Jonathan Claiborne was there for years um, with Johnny. Uh, but if Jack Scarbath was the runner-up in the Heisman Trophy voting in 1952, obviously Maryland's never had a quarterback that was a runner-up to the Heisman Trophy. They've never had anybody other than it sounds like Jack Scarbath. But can we stick to today's... Um, you know, the last 50 years anyway, Boomer was the best quarterback. And, Tommy, I had Scott McBrien as the second-best Maryland quarterback. And a couple of you actually agreed with me on that. And um, and I don't know where Leah ranks. It's not in the top two. He's in the conversation for three and probably no lower than fifth. Um, he, there just aren't any memorable wins or memorable seasons Scott McBrien led Maryland to some big wins in his two years as a starter with Ralph in 2002-2003. He was a terrific, you know, quarterback, uh, dual threat quarterback. Um, but anyway, um, thank you, though, for the email. I, I do appreciate the email, and thank you for letting me know about Jack Scarbath. I've certainly heard his name before, and I know that he was a very important player in Maryland uh, football history. By the way, just speaking of Maryland, um, did a lot of Maryland on yesterday's show too. Wow, this is getting out of hand. Tommy, Maryland plays UCLA Friday night at Pauley Pavilion. 50 yeah. years ago this month, Lefty Drizel, who when he arrived at Maryland, as you know, proclaimed Maryland to be the UCLA of the East. They were going to become the UCLA of, of the East. Well, 50 years ago, December 10th, so you know, a few weeks ago, 50 years ago this month, Maryland made their way to Pauley Pavilion for a made-for-TV, massively anticipated college basketball game before college basketball became as popular as it would become. But it was Maryland as the UCLA of the East against the actual UCLA who <laughs> was led by Bill Walton. 
Um, and they were on their 70-something game win streak. You know, they had the big win streak with Lou Alcindor that Elvin Hayes ended in 1968, and then they were on this other one with Bill Walton. And Maryland, you know, lefty got the game. It was covered. There's a Sports Illustrated story written by Curry Kirkpatrick, um, and it was the cover of Sports Illustrated after the game, UCLA by a whisker. They won 65-64. to um, and it was a great game. Uh, Maryland was ranked fourth. UCLA was number one. Um, this was the year that Maryland lost eventually to NC State in the famous ACC tournament final when only one team from each league, and that created the rule that you could now, they expanded the tournament and allowed at-large bids in more than one bid. They called it the Maryland rule. That was this season. Um, NC State ended up ending UCLA's run of championships in the Final Four with the great David Thompson, um, and they went on to win the title against Al McGuire's Marquette team, but the lefty went out to Pauly with Tom McMillan and Len Elmore and Mo Howard and John Lucas, and they got. They, I read the Curry Kirkpatrick story. Um, they were down nine to nothing in the game. They came back. They took the lead. Then they were down eight with a few minutes to go and made a run at the end and had the ball down sixty-five, sixty-four, and John Lucas got trapped in the corner, threw the ball away. And UCLA was trying to run the clock out. And by the time Maryland fouled them, the horn went off. And Lefty sprinted onto the floor, Tommy, and Uh went to the referee to say, game's over, game's over. He wanted the final score to be 65-64 and didn't (laughs) want UCLA to shoot free throws. (laughs) I mean. Lefty. Lefty was such a great promoter. Incredible, incredible promoter, and a really yeah. and a great coach. A great um, coach took five different programs to the to the uh, tournament. Yeah, uh, can you imagine though? He's sprinting onto the floor, saying, "No, no, no!" The clock ran out. Instead of putting one second left back on the clock when they're down <laughs> one, and maybe they miss both, and somebody throw, he just wanted to lose by one. Um, pretty funny. Uh, so Maryland plays at UCLA at Pauley on Friday night, um, national TV game. Neither teams, you know, lighten it up. Neither teams ranked. UCLA's actually lost three in a row. Um, and, uh, it'll be Maryland's third trip to Pauley Pavilion. They went there with, uh, Adrian Branch in his freshman year in the early eighties and got blown out. Um, and then the next year came back to college park and beat UCLA. Maryland's played UCLA many times, including in the tournament, um, and in neutral floor games. And then they got blown out by UCLA last year. In College Park, Jaime Jaquez was great uh, in that game. He's be, he's uh, he's become, excuse me, he's become an excellent uh, uh, pro so far for the Miami Heat. I thought he would be um, a good player. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, there's this list that came out that Tommy was asked to do homework on. We'll get to that, and I do have a Thursday night smell test pick when we come back. Uh, We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. 
And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This segment brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. MyBookie's got right now the Rams as a four-and-a-half-point favorite tonight in Thursday night football against the New Orleans Saints. The public is all over L.A. in this game. Uh... The Rams have played well recently. Um, they are very. This is a significant game, by the way, in the NFC playoff chase, and for the Saints in the NFC South division uh, race. The Rams have covered in four straight games. They've won three of them outright. They've actually won four out of their last five. Um, the Saints have actually played well in their last two games, but against terrible teams, Carolina and the Giants. So the public really likes the Rams. They perceive the number to be short. I'm not a big fan of the Saints overall, but I will give out the Saints plus the four and a half uh, with a Thursday night smell test, the full smell test coming uh, on tomorrow's show, but an early smell test pick. Saints plus the four and a half tonight against the Rams uh, out at, out in SoFi uh, in L.A. Um, Saints tonight. Go Derek Carr. Not a big fan of Derek Carr, but need him tonight to come through. Um, all right, so I asked you to look at the list that Variety put out yesterday. It's the list of the top 100 shows of all time, but it's not like the top 100 comedies or the top 100 dramas. It's everything. It's documentary, game shows, soap operas, comedies, dramas, you name it. 60 Minutes is you know on the list. This is the top 100 television shows of all time. So you were doing some homework before uh, the show, um, should I start with just the top 10 and tell everybody what, you know, number one through 10 was, and then we can talk about the shows that we think were, you know, uh, excluded, um, from the top 10 that we think should have been top 10. How's that? Should we do it that way? Yes, I think we should do it that way. <laughs> You're just not enthused about today's show. Well, no, I, I am. I just, this is, this list is disgusting. It's despicable. It's children in charge of content. I Love Lucy, number one all-time television show. You have a problem with that? I, you can make the case for that in terms of really? impact. You can make the case for that. It was a, look, they made a movie about the TV about the making of the TV show. When they make a movie about your TV show, then your TV show what was is the movie. Impactful. What was the movie about I Love uh, Lucy? I think Nicole Kidman played Lucy, and I forget who played uh, Ricky. 
But there was a movie about a year or two ago about Lucy and Ricky. Number two on the list, Mad Men. Never watched oh, it. Jesus. Never watched it. Jesus. I watched it. I tried watching it. You know, it's, it's, it's an entertaining show. It might be top in the top 50. Number two? It's really. It, it, this, this is a joke, then. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can name a dozen shows that, that are more impactful and better than Mad Men. Uh, number three, The Sopranos. I don't think I have any issue with The Sopranos being somewhere in no the top five. No problem with that. Um, number four, and this was not a, a show that I ever really got into. And when I've watched it, you know, I've been entertained and I realize how creative and how funny it was. It just, for whatever reason, hit me during a time where, you know, uh, probably starting to have kids at some point in the 90s, and and it was animated, and I, I didn't get into it. But The Simpsons came in at number four. That surprises me. Yeah, that's not my thing either. I mean, I would argue that Rocky and Bullwinkle was a better cartoon show <laughs> than The Simpsons, okay. to be honest with you. And more adult, so... Uh, I'm not, not, I don't think The Simpsons should be top ten. Number you know, five. I'm going through the list. It, I, I've gotten to thirty. Yeah. I hate to interrupt your flow, but I, I mean, I was ready to throw my computer, uh, you know, through a window, and finally at number thirty, which means there's 29 shows better than Hill Street Blues. Absurd, ridiculous, the greatest drama in the history of network. Television. Of network television. Uh, I don't yes. know. I don't know if I agree with that because I was not a big Hill Street Blues fan. I was a big NYPD Blue uh, fan, and and that's on the so list was I. as well. Um, there's no NY, There's no NYPD Blue without Hill Street Blues. Uh, Breaking Bad was five. Now for me, fine. I, it well, it, it if it hadn't been in the top five, then I would have been angry. But I think you can make the case that this is the best show of all time. Um, uh, and, and it's five and there's no way the Simpsons or I I can't say anything about Mad Men, but I can't put, I love Lucy in front of breaking bad. Um, number six is sex in the city. I'll confess. I, I think I watched one season of it. To me, it always felt a bit like a chick show. Um, I didn't love it. Didn't love the characters necessarily at all. Um, am still not, you know, a massive fan of Sarah Jessica Parker and things that she's done. Um, but it's I, not a top ten show. But it's it's, it's the, not. Yeah, uh, number seven. I mean, when, when you when you name these shows, what you're doing, and this seems oblivious to the idiots that are doing this, is look at the shows you're leaving out. Okay, if you think they, if you think Sex in the City is a better show. Than Mary Tyler Moore, than Hill Street Blues, than the Wire, than the Larry Sanders show. Than Game I of still Thrones? haven't gotten no. to the Larry Sanders show yet. Yeah, uh, oh, I, 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 that was one of the shows I immediately went to to see where it was ranked because I, you, I we, we've both discussed this. I think it's one of the most yes. underrated shows of all time. Seven was the Wire. I'm sure you're thrilled that the Wire was seven behind Mad Men, The Simpsons, and uh, and Sex in the City. Eight was Seinfeld. Uh, you know, it was surprising to me that it was eight. I, th- I, I thought as I was scrolling through this, there was a chance Seinfeld was going to be, you know, one, two, or three. 
Uh, Mary Tyler Moore was nine. I don't have a problem with that. Roots, of course, that very powerful 1970s ABC um, made for television, uh, you know, series that lasted a week or whatever came in at 10. Uh, and that's your top 10. Outside of it, Cheers was 11, Sesame Street 12, Succession came in at 13. I know a lot of people Wait. that love Succession, and I know a lot of people that say basically it's great for like a season or two, and then that's it. Um, I didn't. I didn't watch Succession. I, I kind of want watched to. Succession. That's an over. That's oh. That's an overrated rating. Yeah. It was an entertaining show. All right. Give me. Know? Give me your biggest gripes. Well, I tell you, the Hill Street Blues one is 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 my biggest. My second biggest. Nowhere on the list is one of the great sitcoms of all time, and that's The Odd Couple. <laughs> I mean, The Odd Couple. I mean, I, I can't. I can't even describe to you how good The Odd Couple was. You know, there's a scene in The Odd Couple where Felix and Oscar. Felix is running a casino night to raise money for his opera club. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and he wants, he asks Oscar to help him run it, you know, because Oscar's a big-time gambler. So Oscar invites all his gambling buddies to this thing. So they're playing the roulette wheel, and one of these, his gambling buddies, a little tough guy, keeps winning and winning. And uh, Felix is worried that they're, they're going to lose money on this night. So uh, at one point, he grabs the ball off the wheel, and... Uh, he says, well, you can't play now. You don't have the ball. You know, and he pops it in his mouth. And the guy says, then we'll use your eye. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was that kind of show. Howard Cosell made guest appearances. Roy Clark made guest appearances. Alex Karras was on the show. Gary Premi. And it was just uh, Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King were on the show. It was just a great show. And it's in the type of, it's that. It's in the top 50 of all time. It's not even in the top 100 on this list. So, you know what? Uh, if this was a piece of paper, I'd burn it. Um, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned another show that wasn't in it. And I, I don't know that I expected it to be, to be honest with you, but I was hoping it would be because it is definitely one of my all-time favorite shows, and it's one of the shows that you and I have both always agreed on. The Rockford Files is not in the top 100. It's not? It's not? No. Seriously? Yeah, it's not. Well, then, then, then what? You know, erase this from the podcast. <laughs> We're giving this too much, too much credit. We're giving this too much attention. Like, but they, that's what this is. This is children. Okay? This happens at ESPN all the time. But there was some idiot on Fox Network the other day who called the Otani signing the biggest and most impactful signing in the history of the Dodgers. Okay? <laughs> So, I mean, like Jackie Robinson was forgotten, yes. I guess. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, but that's a child, you know, in a position of content power. It's disgusting. Um, there you go. All right. So, a Rockford Files <laughs> not being in it, I was disappointed. I don't know that I expected to see it in it because I don't see it on a lot of lists sometimes of of great sort of police dramas. Um, uh, you know, uh, dramas, but but I, you and I both love that show. The Larry Sanders show coming in at 43, I'm just glad yeah. it was there because I think sometimes it just gets completely 
overlooked. It does. Um, in in fact, it in does. the in the write up of this show, shrewd and clever, the Larry Sanders show is under discussed in the story of HBO's rise as a home for truly original television. It's a masterstroke. Um, so that was uh, NY. NYPD Blue is 73rd. That's I know. not right. I know. The Office came in at 39. I just can't possibly have that below a lot of the comedies that are in front of it. I'm okay with Seinfeld being in front of it, um, but there are too many uh, c- comedies that, that I think are in front of it that shouldn't be. I'm okay with Curb Your Enthusiasm and, and, and it being in front of it as well because I do think that's brilliant. Um, and then, you know, you know what I'm going to say. Uh, Game of Thrones coming in um, at 21 is just way, way too low. Um, that's a top 10 show of all time. I don't expect it necessarily to be in front of Breaking Bad or The Wire. I, even though I haven't watched The Wire, I know how significant it is. Um, and not one person who I respect has ever said anything other than The Wire is their number one or number two. Um, but Game of Thrones should be higher than 21. And then, you know, we didn't talk talk about this when it happened a few weeks ago. Um, but Norman Lear passed away, I don't know, two weeks ago. All in the Family came in at 16. Uh, I think All in the Family, you talked about impactful shows. That was an impactful show. That- Absolutely. An impactful show, but it doesn't age well. So lot- it's like I've watched reruns of it, and I don't think it's quite, it, it doesn't really do much for it. It was impactful at the time, you know, but I don't think it ages well. So you're not saying it doesn't like, age well because it wouldn't be – obviously it wouldn't be on television today. No, we, that's we, not – That's I just don't yeah, find it as entertaining. As funny as or I entertaining? Did. Okay. I haven't, as funny, yeah. I haven't watched an episode of All in the Family. What's it even on? I never see it on anything. Well, it used to be on TV land. There's all kinds of networks that show Antenna TV – TV land. Mm-hmm. There's about half a dozen networks that show nothing but old reruns. Yeah. And that's basically my, my wheelhouse, those, show, those networks. Right. I watch them all the time. I watch Barney Miller on, on Antenna TV. Here's something that's an interesting uh, placement. Number 90, The Cosby Show. The Cosby Show, and I didn't watch it that much. It wasn't my cup of tea. I did. And... and I understand the, the baggage that Bill Cosby brings, but the Bill Co- the Cosby Show was a far bigger impactful show than the 90th show in the list of 100. I agree with that. I agree because it was really one of the first shows I believe that really showed kind of an upper middle class African American family. You know, um, and and it was well, it was very funny. It was also part of one of the great nights in television. You know, the NBC Thursday night lineup of the Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Cheers and I think yeah. it was Night Court was probably the last one. Um, and then wasn't it Hill Street Blues on Thursday night? I didn't watch Hill Street Blues, but was was that a Thursday I don't night NBC if it, if it show? Was. Um, offhand, I mean, the, the, but, I mean, I, I understand there's a there's a a bad taste that comes with with ranking the Cosby Show, but you've got to be cognizant that it's it's far more impactful than the 90th most best show in, in history of television. Right, and I, it wasn't even like I didn't even particularly like the show, but I recognized what it did. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it was it was it was a great show. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore being ninth, you know, in the same way, not it, it, not the same way, but as impactful as All in the Family was in the same time frame. Um, so was Mary Tyler Moore because yeah. it was it was totally well. First of all, Dick Van Dyke is on this list. I forget where Dick Van Dyke comes in, but um, that was the first show to, to to kind of have. Correct me if I'm wrong. To have a female who was, you know, in many ways, kind of a sassy, um, almost equal partner to a husband rather than being sort of submissive and subservient and any kind of word that you want to use that reflected sort of a 50s, you know, um, housewife, right? Am I right or wrong about the Dick Van Dyke show as it relates to that? In some aspects, yes. I think it was just a very well-written show. I mean, Carl Reiner was a brilliant writer uh, and creator of, of, of the show, and uh, it was the precursor to uh, smart comedies, okay? Comedies weren't very smart until uh, Dick Van Dyke came along. Um, but Mary Tyler Moore was significant in that oh, yeah. single, single woman. divorced woman uh, working... She wasn't divorced. She wasn't oh, that's divorced. right, no, unmarried. Um, single right. woman working, uh, yeah, that was yes. uh, with, with a significant job, and... Yes. Th- 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 that was one of the real great casts of all time. Oh yeah, that was a very funny show. Um, Ted Knight, Ed Asner, oh, absolutely. Ted Knight was it was brilliant in that movie and in, in that show. Um, and it you know it ended up with a spinoff, which was Rhoda. Um, and it ended up with two spinoffs, which was Phyllis. Phyllis too, right? Her friend, yeah. Her, her the landlady Phyllis was, right. was a show as well, and then. It ran off a third spinoff because Lou Grant, uh, you yeah. know, after he left the TV station, went out to become a newspaper editor in Los Angeles. Right. The Lou Grant Show. Yeah. Betty White was on that show, too. I mean, that yeah. was... What What was Phyllis's... What's her name in real life again? Why am I blanking? Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman. Good job. Yes. Um, in Young Frankenstein. Great role in Young Frankenstein. Right. Yeah. Uh... All right. Um, anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. I'm not going to sleep tonight now because of this list. I'm glad I, I gave you the homework then. Uh, 1913, another pick six for Sam Howell. That'll give us something to talk about next week. Uh, back tomorrow with Jay Gruden. Thanks, Tommy. All right, boss.